you are now entering the world of a movie review. A world full of drama, joy, ridicule, movie spoilers, unpopular opinions, and adult humor for as far as the eye can see. Welcome to An Evening at the Movies. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your favorite movie-based podcast, the show where we eat stale popcorn and we drink watered-down sodas and we discuss all of our favorite movies and why we love them. This is An Evening at the Movies, as you could tell from the intro. If you couldn't tell, I don't know what to tell you. It was pretty big on the screen, and Amanda's got a pretty loud voice. So we love you, Amanda. and. That's just how it is. But we are joined today by a brand new guest on the show that is making her debut on the show. So please um, forgive me because I did not ask before we started recording. And I didn't and I say anything. probably should have. But I'm going to assume it is Teresa Carnegie. Partly. It's Teresa Carnegie. The half I got wrong was the one I didn't think I was going to get wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Teresa Carnegie. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, would you like to tell everybody on the show about yourself and what it is that you do? I am um, sure. Uh, so I'm in Vancouver, Canada, and I am a writer, self-published author, and self-publishing coach. So I teach entrepreneurs, uh, coaches, how to self-publish their first book, and they then have the knowledge and the confidence to self-publish more books and create a new income stream. Nice. It's fun. I like it. I will say this. Self-publication is something that definitely 100% fascinates me because cool. as I'm sitting here right now, I have my large uh, three-inch binder here that has all kinds of notes from all kinds of different writing projects that I have. Nice. And getting published has always been a dream of mine. It's something we talked about on the show before, but... It's definitely something that I'm finding more information out there about self-publication and all of that. And it seems to be, at least from the way I'm looking at it, probably the easiest way to go for an unnamed, unknown writer to get their foot in the door. I mean, the reason I chose it was I would have control over the timeline and I have control over you know, basically every aspect of the book. Um, I hire, you know, editors and, and graphic designers for covers, but you still mm -hmm. have the final say when you self-publish. And timeline is up to you. You don't have to wait an hour, when, or I mean, an hour, an, a year for the, you know, publisher to do all their pieces and put it out. You don't have to wait. Uh, I know somebody that there were problems um, with, I think it was editors or something and they their book ended up being seven years before it was published. So, you know, there's, there's, and I also know somebody who uh, works with a smaller publishing company and has her books published in three to six months, I think it is. So, but it's also, you know, I didn't want to have to 
have approval by others. I wanted, I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to learn it um, I, for my own income stream was, a, you know, the idea, right? And uh, I was new to writing and I thought this, you know, didn't want to have to deal with the um, approval or lack of. <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's your vision for what you want. Yes. And going through major publishing houses. You have your vision, but you do also have to amend your vision to meet their standards. Yeah. With the publisher, you are, um, they are going for the biggest hit. They want to hit, um, the, you know, obviously they're, um, when it's traditionally published, your you license your rights to that story. And so they only have it for uh, however many years the contract is for, the lease is for, and, uh, or the license. And so they want to get a big push. You know, they pay money to you, um, usually part of it in advance, and it's a big push for them to get it out and get it, because they aren't known for republishing. They do one publish run, and that's usually it. Uh, so hence they go, they go big. Um, but whereas if you are self-published an indie, you know, publisher, you have access to this whole library of whatever you've created for life mm -hmm. and your marketing and your sales can be reflective in that way. So yeah, you can make, you still want to make, um, industry decisions you know like a cover you still want the cover to flow with the genre you don't want everybody in your genre you know to have one look and you have something so far out there that everyone's like what that's weird I'm not even gonna look you know so you do want you know a, um, a cover designer that understands the in the genre that you're writing in so that they can create a cover that works with your vision but also is done in a way because fonts colors um, layout, um, you know, that kind of stuff all matters to the genre. And if you think about it, if um, you're in, if you're writing um, cozy mysteries, for example, usually have an animal on them. And that's a big thing. Um, another thing is if it's a, what is that genre? Um, suspense, I believe it is. There's always somebody running, there's a shadow of the person, um, you know, and usually the what it does is um, when you create the, the cover, it creates it so that the center is the focus. And if you don't understand your genre and all of these kind of little nuances, you might not have a cover that attracts readers to even look at your book because there are a lot of published books in the world. So you want to have these little pieces in place to help you. That actually makes a whole lot more sense. I'd never thought about it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I get the whole, the cover is your first impression mm -hmm. to your readers. So you have to come up with something that's going to grab your reader and make them pick up yes. your book. And yeah. hopefully, once they pick it up, they're willing to take it up to the cash register and, you know, put... 10, 15, 20 bucks, whatever the price on the book is, mm -hmm. down and pay the money for your book yeah. and then keep coming and then 
by the time they get it home, open it and read it, hopefully you create that environment where they're willing to come back and check you out again. Exactly. But yeah, I'm, I hadn't thought about, uh, obviously you don't want, you know, to have a murder mystery and, you know, have rainbows and sunshine and exactly. flowers all over your cover. Yeah. If even that's though you're not, like... Yeah. Even if that's not what, if that's not what your story is about, then you don't want to have it be the focal part of your cover. Well, you could even you could even say, "Oh, my my main character is a sunny, cheerful person who loves rainbows and unicorns." So I want that on the cover, but that's not falling in line with the genre. So people aren't going to understand what your book is about. So you want the genre to speak to you know. So you want the cover to look really good to draw the reader, you know, to draw a potential reader in. But you also want it to match the genre so that they understand visually what they're they're going for and then you know then you've got things like the blurb you want the blurb to be done in a way that they're like oh ooh, yeah yeah i gotta ha i'm gonna have to click one you know do the one click yeah i'm done i'm gonna do it you know so there's there's pieces of it that all fall in well i mean it makes sense because you know if you've got a book that says you know your title you know for example your title is murder at blah 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 and then you've got like i said rainbows and flowers and unicorns all over the cover you might get somebody that sees you know the name on the spine pick up the book and then they turn around and look at the cover and it's like okay put it yeah, back exactly. it's confusing so yeah it, yeah they don't get it where if yeah. you know they would just open the book and read a couple of chapters then they might get it and oh, okay i see the point here what they were going for yeah but you know if you don't get them to want to open that cover then you're basically you wasted your resources exactly and your book is marketing itself you know it, it's you know when you stick it out on i mean i'm going to use amazon because i i tend to teach people to self-publish on amazon because it is the number one um book seller and um it when you stick it out there each piece is marketing that book for you so yes your book has to be written very well to hold the reader in or you know well enough to hold the reader in but um you the marketing starts with that cover and then it goes into the blurb and then you know the book is what they're getting for being drawn in by those two things it's a whole it's a whole thing <laughs> It sounds probably a lot more complicated than it really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really one thing you can do when I, you know, I tell my clients in the beginning when we start working is start um, looking at other people who are selling their books in your genre and look at what their covers are like. And then when you open up, you know, you can look at those samples on Amazon and it'll tell you usually in those samples will give you um, enough pages that you can see who the cover designer is so you can always contact them because the other thing is cover designers editors some of them are booked out you know a year in advance so if you want to have your book published in the next few months it's not going to happen with with that one person so you need to have you know do your research for your cover designer um, in that way by looking at what other people are selling and it also gives you an idea of what you you might want your cover to look like you know gives you some 
ways to play with your ideas. Mm. And then, you know, same with when you're reading a book, if you, if you read that whole book and you didn't get pulled out of the story from errors, uh, look up that editor and see what they've got availability on. And if they work on your genre, um, cause not all editors work on the same genre, not all cover designers work on the same on all genres. Uh, so it's really good to, you know, start your research in the beginning by reading and, and looking at other people's stuff that are selling. I had never thought of that either. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, and like the other thing while you were talking about that, that came to talking about looking at other authors in your preferred genre genre, mm -hmm. I can imagine there's certain authors you might not necessarily want to necessarily compare with because they have the huge grandiose name that it doesn't matter what is on the cover anyway when people see the author's name on the spine it's like okay got it gonna go buy it i actually know of i've heard some authors talk um very well-known authors and they also do um they're more, you know, they've got the time, they've got the money, they, so they can do more market research and they will put out a cover. And if it's not selling well, they'll read, that's the other thing about self-publishing. You can redo your cover. You can fix errors in your book and, re, and redo it and put it up there. So, you know, I've heard of big names who have one cover. It didn't do so well. They put out a, you know, they redid their cover and put it out, sold way better. Um, you know, and it's just different things like that, but they have the more of the, um, people and money that they can do that kind of market research. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't hear you. Sometimes my headset does there that. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that would explain a lot of the reason why there's times where I've seen even like Stephen King has released a book with a certain cover. Yes. And maybe like a month later, two months later, whatever the case may be, you'll see the book come out again, but it'll have a different cover on it. Yes. Yeah. Not very, not very often. No. Um, he does. But they name that we were talking about yeah and and that's the thing and um i know that other authors uh like i know indie authors for example who um maybe had a book that's been out for a long time and then they'll change the cover and you know everybody's like why'd you change the cover i love this cover but the thing is markets change and what attracts the readers changes so, you know, this gives them a chance to, you know, um, when they've self-published, it gives them a chance to do up a new cover that matches with what the, what's selling in the market and republish, you know, with, well, it's not, you're not really republishing, you're just putting it out with a new cover and it can attract new readers that way, you know? So you're always thinking marketing when you've in that with the, um, with the cover. Doing it again. That's it.
know. It sounds like you're in a cave. Mm. Oh, there we go. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I can hear. Okay. So, hopefully my technology will hold out. <laughs> so, um, definitely a whole lot of information that is you weren't expecting. Well, no, I, I, I'm not. I wanted to talk to you about some of this stuff because, like, I knew you were in self self publication. Okay. And I knew that that's a road that I'm going to be looking at in the semi near future as I try and get some of my stuff out there and published. So, nice. well, I mean, um, for example, my very first book was a 17 page ebook. Uh, that I used uh, two articles I had written for other people's websites that uh, I didn't get paid for, so I, I still owned it, uh, owned them. And I put them together into an ebook call, and I got a graphic designer for, or a cover designer and an editor, and I made the book free on all major retailers, and it's called Solo Female Travel. Although sometimes Amazon in certain countries charges. But um, it's it was a really good example of how you can take something and it doesn't necessarily have to be a hundred thousand word novel or, you know, part one of 20. Um, you can just dip your toes in with something that you've already had created and give it a try, throw it out there and, and just learn the experience. And um, I mean, it, it, it's a costly experience if you're going to put out a free book, but <laughs> I personally am happy I did it. <laughs> It all depends on what you're looking for and your goal. I feel like it's probably a good learning experience mm -hmm. so that, you know, okay, what did I learn from doing this smaller project? Now let me take what I've learned and try and expand it into something maybe a little bit more. Well, by learning that on a smaller project too, you've also, you're not, um, so, for example, you know, you if you are going to be self-publishing a book, a novel, um, they say you should have like a year or two of making connections in the online world, in the you know, with readers, um, so that it you know, when you go to publish your first book, you've got a base to work with who are interested and wanting to read this. So, by putting out something that you've already created a little smaller you know kind of thing you can learn the process while you're also creating making these connections and creating this community so you don't feel like i don't know for me personally if i were just to create a community i'd be like what's the end goal what am i doing here how is this benefiting me because i can't see what it how it's benefiting me so for me it worked to be able to um have that and then you know like i'm I've never written fiction. I'm trying to write fiction. Uh, it's not as easy as just get that story out of my head. That story is stuck in there pretty good. And the words on the page don't come out quite the same way. And then there's all the like, you know, extra edits to fill all the pieces and make it better. And so it's taken me a little longer. And But I, so what I've done is I've created journals, I've created notebooks, I've created planners, you know, for readers, and I have a mental wellness workbook, like all things that I can keep using my creativity, keep self-publishing, keep putting products out in the world while I'm trying to create this you know, what I really want to do, that big, the, the goal, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. 
So I don't want to cut the discussion short because I am thoroughly enjoying learning all the ins and outs of the self-publication. But we don't talk about a movie. <laughs> I, I, I do believe there is a purpose for doing this episode. Seems like and <laughs> I think we were here to discuss a movie. It could be. Maybe, maybe. I feel like that sounds sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, when Teresa and I connected and came up with the idea for doing this appearance, um, she selected a movie off of Netflix that, I'm not going to lie, her selection is the very first ever Netflix original that we will be discussing on the show. Okay. So, I don't know if I'm used to being the first. Okay. Can I do this? I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> like it's a whole big deal, but at the same time, it's still a big deal because you get to be first. I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, I, I so, would like to just throw out the thing is that I have a problem watching movies more than once. So... You were very generous, Casey, in letting me pick something I hadn't seen before, a newer show. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I don't remember if this topic came up in our initial discussions or not, but um, one of the reasons why I love, especially the first couple of times, like doing this is because it helps create a comfortable environment between myself and the guests. Valid point. So the, Hopefully, you know, it's a very friendly back and forth to and fro kind of banter mm -hmm. where if I was to myself pick a movie and you're like, oh, I kind of sort of have feelings for that. But you're not necessarily at that same level that I'm at. Mm -hmm. And it's like my preconceived notions could interfere in a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, the conversation can get kind of choppy and not flow. And yeah, it's like I've had—I won't name episodes or particular guests, but because I love all of my episodes, but there have been times where I felt like conversations were going to be great, but then it just the show didn't meet that standard that I had preset in my head. Understandable. Yeah. So. So I, I like the idea of doing it this way. That way, you know, if it's something that you are passionate about, then, you know, if I haven't seen it, then I can check it out. And then it's on me to have to, you know, deliver a quality episode, which I feel like in the last almost three years, I've gotten decent at doing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Jimmy Kimmel or, you know, um, Jimmy Fallon or any of Stephen Colbert, anybody like that. But I enjoy doing this and I enjoy talking to people about something that. That's the best you know, place to start enjoying it. If you don't enjoy it, nothing's going to work, come out of it. Well, so yeah, awesome. at the end of the day, and I'll get to it at the end, but I think February 10th will be our third anniversary and probably a week or two weeks after that, we're going to be hitting our 200th episode. That's exciting. Congratulations. So, thank you. I am very excited to reach both of those milestones because um, starting off with the show, a lot of people, 
But when you're an independent podcaster, if you can get through that first six months, then, you know, you've got something. Yeah. And I hit that six months and it's like, I still really love doing this. So we kept going and we kept going. You know, we hit a year and then we hit two years. And now it's like, again, you know, three years is coming up here in just a couple of weeks. And I actually scroll through and, you know, counted on Spotify how many episodes. And it's like, oh, wow, we're sitting at like 192 as of this episode right now. Holy. So it's really, really close to some big milestones. And there's some good podcasts that I've listened to that didn't last three years. They didn't put out 200 episodes. Wow. So. See, so my congratulations is awesome. Yay. I appreciate that very much. Um, So before we get into the discussion, obviously you've heard a couple episodes and you know, we do a little bit of background, some of the, you know, under the surface information about the movie, but we are going to be discussing the Netflix original Pain Hustlers, which released on October 20th, 2023, is directed by David Yates, as I said, is a Netflix original, had a budget of $50 million. Obviously, no box office because it was a Netflix straight release. Um, I don't know if you know or not, but would you like to wager a guess as to what you think, percentage-wise, Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie? I have a feeling, I think, uh, not I have a feeling, and not I think. I actually looked up, what, and it was being panned. People did not like it. Um, so I have, um, how does Rotten Tomatoes work again? Is it like low means people don't like it or high means people don't like it? Low. So low percentage, bad movie. 100% great movie. I'm thinking it's below 50. I saw like bad reviews. Yeah, it's way below 50. <laughs> 23% score. On 108 critic reviews. Wow. That's pretty bad. That's low. So definitely the critics did not enjoy the movie. They did not. Wow. Which we'll get into it more through our discussion and whatnot. But that kind of sort of puzzles me to an extent. But, and then obviously before... We start the discussion. Um, if you're interested and you haven't seen the movie yet and you're listening to us this far and want to actually go and watch it, you can find it on the Netflix. So you can find it there. And um, just a really quick, brief little whatnot about the movie just to possibly get you interested if you haven't seen it. Uh, Pain Hustlers is a 2023 crime drama film directed by David Yates. Its plot centers on a high school dropout who lands a job with a failing pharmaceutical company in Central Florida where she soon finds herself at the center of a criminal conspiracy. I think that pretty much sums up the entire plot of the movie. It's a great word, a couple 
sentences to sum it up. Yes. Was that off Netflix? Was that Netflix, Bernard? Because they're well known for their short little ways of grabbing attention. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm definitely a big, huge supporter of pulling information off of Wikipedia. Ah, uh, okay. So I did take that off of Wikipedia, so I uh, won't take okay. full credit for it, but the idea to take it off of Wikipedia is mine. That's your idea. The word, that works? The, word, the words belong to the wiki. <laughs> well, so, you still used your thoughts to get of where to grab it, to grab, you know, to get a good little blurb. That was still appreciated. Exactly. So one last point before we get into the discussion. Um, we need to pause for a second for network identification. An Evening at the Movies is a proud member of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network. Other shows in the network include Mass Debaters, The Sip List, Crushgasm, Love is Black, Men are the Prize, Crime Rewind, and Literature Reboots. You can find out all about our shows and more at idnmtrpodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening. I know. It's been a while since you guys have heard that, so I needed to make sure that you guys all remember there's other shows on our amazing network that are great shows that need to be checked out as well. So, now, with all of that said, we now return you to your regularly scheduled episode of An Evening at the Movies. Um, we're going to talk about a movie on okay. Evening at yeah. the Movies. <laughs> right? I mean, we're a half an hour into the episode and yeah. we haven't even asked one discussion question yet. <laughs> so, we're going to get lightning round here for the rest of the... Well, not necessarily lightning round. We're going to have our discussion and we're going to have fun and see where the rest of the episode takes us. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. So, all right. So first easy out of the gate question, obviously is what was it about this movie that you absolutely fell in love with when you first watched it? When I first watched it or that allowed me to choose it? Okay. Both, but you can answer them separately if you want. Because <laughs> um, okay. I can, I can see why with this movie that, you would have the one that would make you want to watch it. But then obviously there could be reasons why during your watch or after your watch, why you would love it as well. So to watch it, it was, you know, the big names and there was a trailer. Like, so I watched the trailer and the trailer I saw was them interviewing employees to hire. And uh, Emily Blunt and Chris Evans were arguing, not arguing, but they were disagreeing as to who to hire and who not to hire. And I thought that was, it was funny. And it was an interesting, their perspective on who to hire was interesting, like each of them. And I was like, huh, this looks really interesting and exciting. So that was my initial why to watch it. Um, what kept me watching it was again the names um they're very good actors there were a lot of very good actors in it and i found the story was the story was sad but the movie made it fun if that sounds awful and morbid um there was it was light without you know you it, i didn't cry through the whole thing but i still found out the story and i still 
um, I guess enjoyed it. it. Made me keep wanting to watch it. So, I personally like you. Well, obviously, I hadn't heard of the movie before you had recommended it. Okay. But you recommended it, and I immediately did a Google search. One, to find out where I could find it, and two, anything that I could find out about the movie. And immediately it pops up with, you type it all into Google and hit search, and it pops up with the individual cast pictures. I'm, okay, Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, Andy Garcia, Catherine O'Hara. I'm like, okay, because I only have so much of a screen that it's available. And that, that's basically about what you could fit onto my screen because I was typing it into my phone. I'm like, okay, that's a fairly decent cast. I mean, Catherine O'Hara is funny to me. Um, I fell in love with her the first time I saw her in Beetlejuice when I was a kid. Ah, yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I can't pronounce her name in the last TV show that I saw her in, but. Oh, (laughs) the Canadian TV show. Uh, Shit's Creek. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That that M word. I don't know how to pronounce that. I can't even remember. Um, No, that's out of my memory. I can't remember. I know how it's spelled, but I don't know how the hell to pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> but um, I've Home Alone, Home Alone 2. I mean, there's so many great things that she's been in. And that's just her. And she doesn't even, she's not even one of like the marquee stars of the movie. I mean, Andy it's Garcia. Side character. Yeah. Andy Garcia has been, he's still kind of sort of a side character, but yeah. you're starting to get into a marquee star now. Mm-hmm. And he's been in hundreds of movies. Mm-hmm. And obviously then that basically leaves you with Emily Blunt and mm-hmm. Chris Evans. They were the two and, main. Yeah. And truth be told, nothing against other celebrities, but if you don't know who Emily Blunt and Chris Evans are in today's age, have you ever seen a movie before? <laughs> yes. They are pretty well known, both of them. Yeah. I mean, one of them is Captain America, and the other yes. one is married to Jim Halpert. If that's the root, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know what I think I have to say about Catherine O'Hara? She's amazing. Everything she's in, she's amazing. I mean, I saw there was a commercial here in Canada that she did a couple years ago, and that was amazing. So, you know, she's, I don't think she can do anything that's not amazing. I think she's great. But my favorite Catherine O'Hara, sh- O'Hara show is, um, what was that one? Um, oh, no, now it's gone. Um, I hate when that happens. It was a Christopher Guest show, and she was a folk singer. And it was so good. As something wind. Um, yeah, good call. Look it up. <laughs> I'm Googling as we speak. Yeah. It was, uh, and she played uh, opposite, um, also Schitt's Creek, uh, her husband in Schitt's Creek, uh, Levy, Uh, uh, Eugene Eugene Levy. Levy. So Eugene Levy was her husband in that show too, and in that movie. And it's Christopher Guest, so it's ad lib, and it is so funny. 
What has Christopher Guest been in? Uh, yeah. Uh, so no, I, I almost said Best in Show, but it um, it's not that one. It was the one he did right after that, I believe. Uh, let's see. Right after Best in Show, A Mighty Wind. Yeah, that's the one. A Mighty Wind. Oh my gosh, I laughed that whole show. And I mean, because you get a lot of actors that can improv as amazingly as uh, the ones Christopher gets in his shows. And it is just, it just goes. And I mean, yeah. So Catherine O'Hara in that place was really, really good. She is such a phenomenal talent. And yeah. at the end of the day, I brought up one of my all-time favorite movies a little bit, a minute ago. And I'm not going to lie. I'm happy that she's coming back for the sequel next summer. Oh, yeah. And it's supposed to be a part of Beetlejuice 2. Oh, cool. I've wanted a Beetlejuice sequel for many, many decades. Beetlejuice? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, and the, I, like, for me, I'm dark and mysterious like that, so I tend to gravitate towards like Tim Burton. Okay. So, um, but Michael Keaton in that movie, and then mm -hmm. his ever evolving relationship with the icon that is Johnny Depp. Oh yeah. Yes, please, all day long. I mean. <laughs> Anybody that knows me will know, yeah, I will happily push everything to the back burner for a Tim Burton-Johnny Depp collaboration. Cool. It, well, maybe not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but any other Tim Burton-Johnny Depp adaptation, probably. <laughs> I didn't mind Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It wasn't as good as the original, but I still liked it. Probably was more faithful to the book than mm. the original. Okay. But at the same time, the original for people of our generation have more of a nostalgic experience to it because it was such oh. a big part of our childhood. Mm -hmm. Well, that and um, Gene Wilder is, I mean, he's phenomenal. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so you knew when he was going to be in it, it was going to have a layer of funny, right? Um, Johnny Depp, I find, is way more serious. And his my, his shows might have a level of funny, but I don't find he... Oh, that's actually not true. Pirates of the Caribbean. That whole character was pure sarcasm. And... Uh, I... Yeah. yeah. One, two, three. I love that franchise. After... The third one, I struggled to get through the fourth one and still have not watched the fifth one. Yeah, I actually don't think I did. I don't think I did. No. And with as much as I struggled to get through four, I don't think I'm missing out on anything with missing out on number five. Uh, if you don't want, if you haven't seen it after this long, uh, then you don't personally feel like you're missing out and you don't feel like you need to watch it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so. it's been what? 10 years, eight years since that movie came out. It's been a while. Yeah. So, yeah. But 
wow, that was a long tangent to go down. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't even about painkillers, but. Um, <laughs> but it Catherine a hair. Uh, come on. <laughs> this, this definitely has an underlying feeling of being like my first recording that I ever did with Amanda on her show, The Sip List. I'm not going to. I will not look allow this episode to go like that but um our the first time i recorded with amanda we went um, i don't remember exactly how long it was but a minimum three hours long oh wow okay and that <laughs> that's like a couple of those things that up into a couple of episodes <laughs> well, probably now we've got it down pat to where we can do an episode of both shows in probably about an hour, but that's impressive. Um, we do advertise our, I mean, she's basically like my sister from another mister. Nice. I'm her brother from another mother. I mean, we personality wise fit together like hand in glove. That's cool. So that's great when you find those people in life. It's awesome. It doesn't happen all that often, and yeah. it should happen a lot more than it does. But um, definitely, yeah. Um, back to my initial thought, though, was Chris, Emily, Andy, Catherine. Definitely, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's a good jumping off point to get me excited to watch this. And then you read the little bit of that plot description about okay, I kind of sort of see what this is about. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit intrigued now. And then you start watching the movie and everything starts growing on you really quickly. Yeah. And you, you can thank a lot of that to, to, I mean, you get the talent that is Emily Blunt and Chris Evans almost from the beginning. That very first moment is Bam, you have her. Bam, you have him. You're right. That and, was the opening scene. You had them both, didn't you? Yeah, and That's throughout right. the rest of the opening, they continue to build Use the them. plot and grow and everything mm -hmm. melts together. And then, you know, Andy Garcia gets introduced. Her mom gets introduced. Her daughter gets introduced, who's the actress who played her daughter, I thought did a pretty good job as well. I feel like she's uh, in something I'm supposed to know because I feel like she's a name too. Um, she was very good though. I thought she did a great, like amazing job. She fit in with those big stars, you know, like she held her own. And that can be a pretty difficult task to um, try and sink your teeth into. Oh, yeah. Because when, when you have to share the stage with or the screen with somebody as talented as Emily Blunt, or Chris Evans, or whatever. I mean, Chris Evans is, in my opinion anyway, I feel one of the most underrated actors today mm. because, like, he gets all this credit for, like, being Captain America and all this, the success that Marvel brought. But at the end of the day, you know, there's other stuff that he's done and all of that as well. Yeah. So, um, anyway, getting back on task and speeding along, was there anything about the movie that 
turned you off and kind of sort of upsetted you? I think the storyline itself is upsetting. Um, uh, but I mean, I don't, it didn't turn me off because I felt it was an upsetting storyline and the way they did it and the way they, you know, they had that, um, Hmm, the interviews with the characters mm -hmm. and that I found was a really good way for you to see how I mean they all blamed everybody you know they all blamed her and it's amazing because she was the only one that had the integrity to speak up and you know yet they were all happily well it's her fault you yeah. know kind of thing um, I got into this because of her and I mean, also, you know, valid point, but um, it's interesting how, I mean, it's like that in society, right? It's easier to blame somebody else, make it their fault, than take accountability for your own actions. Oh, and, yeah. you know, um, I really liked how they did it. That was, you heard it through their words. Um, yeah. I, 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 it didn't turn me off though. I don't think there was anything that turned me off. I really enjoyed how it showed. I mean, I like to get a little psychological on everything and uh, compare with society and such. And I really liked how, like I said, the accountability, how, you know, it, they showed how as humans, it's so easy to blame somebody else, even though it was your actions that did it. Nobody forced you to do anything. And, you know, then there was the whole how, you know, the, the Andy Garcia's character, you know, he had all these rules. It has to be a PhD, you know, a person who holds a PhD and we need to do this and we need to do that. And, but as soon as he got popular and the money poured in, you know, all these rules went out the window and yeah. greed just rules, you know. Um, but then by the middle part of the movie, it some different type of rules started factoring back in. It's like you couldn't get a face-to-face -face meeting with him without turning over yeah. your cell phone. You had yeah. to take your shoes off. You, yeah, yeah I'm not spending $80,000 to have my office floors clean. Nobody yeah. wears shoes in the office anymore. Yeah. And all it's like, okay, you, sir, are starting to slip down the road to being a manic. I thought it started though with um, he didn't want the was it the compliance um, group or something? It was the group that uh, Emily Blunt's character wanted to have in there to make sure they were following all the rules and wouldn't get in trouble. And you know he was like, "Oh yeah, we don't need that," you know, because I mean I'm making assumptions here, but it's it's easy to assume his character didn't want that because he knew what they were doing was wrong and he didn't want to get called out on that because the money was pouring in, you know, and it's also interesting how the guy who did the study that they, they ran everything on, you know, this study says this, this is this, the safe. And the guy who did the study was like, yeah, they took one piece of it. They didn't take the whole thing. They didn't, you know, they just took what work, worked for them, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's like history, per se, where you can tell a historical story, but you can take 
pieces of the story and create your own story to oh exactly i had never thought about it like that until i got to um an american history class in college mm. where the teacher basically on day one started the class off so this is the situation this is the blah 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 and these are the things that you know about this right and we're all like yeah 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 and he's like okay but here's this perspective of the exact same thing exactly. and it's like oh i didn't think about that he's like technically textbook publishers and any kind of publisher writer whatever the case may be is telling you their version exactly. of an event yes so you have to be mindful of the fact that that may in fact be true but there might be a slightly different road to get there exactly or it may not be true mm -hmm. and it may just be somebody else's you know propaganda that they're trying to force down you it's not always even propaganda necessarily um i know uh like i've done some traveling and i moved to london england for a few years and i met people like it's a very you know um conglomerate of all kinds of cultures and people from all over the world and so i met people from other countries um other than canada or the uk or united states and what i found interesting was there were people i met people from uh south africa and they were not impressed that the uk had colonize them and yet you talk to somebody in the uk and they're like oh yeah no they're so happy we came over and helped them do this and this and this and it was like um well you're both seeing things from a very different perspective yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know and that was uh, a quite an eye-opener for me um but i just had a conversation actually the other day and we were talking about how uh canada it's something we've learned, uh, but it was just touched on. I mean, I don't even, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, but the, the war with the United States. And yet I know a lot of people in the United States who have never heard of it. <laughs> and it was like, but this was a huge thing. And you know it, or you've never heard of it? I've never heard of it. Seriously? So, you and I American history? Oh, uh, and wow. I actually love American history, but. Wow not something if it came up throughout my education it's not something that got a whole lot of attention so if i remember correctly i can't remember the year but if i uh, remember correctly the canadians actually ended up um taking over the white house even um because what happened was the united states tried to come into canada and we were like uh no thank you bye bye and then we came and went into the united states <laughs> And we being nowhere uh, near me because it was many generations ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely don't think I ever heard about that. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Did you hear different perspectives? And I mean, that's yeah. not something that I mean, we we consider it. We won, so we want to talk about it. If you didn't win, do you want to talk about it? Well, because a lot of American history, you get the, you know, 
American Revolution. You get yes the Civil War. Obviously, right. you get you know World War One. You get World War Two. Yeah. You get the Korean War and all of the stuff that I mean, the Civil War. You know, is a win lose situation because mm-hmm. you have one half of the country fighting the other half of the country. But pretty like, sure all wars are a win lose situation. <laughs> well, again, yeah, but. At the end, I mean, the American Revolution, technically, we won. Um, I, I see what your point is, right? It was just you fighting with yourselves. So is there a win? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, World War One, we won. Yeah. World War Two, we won. Korea, kind of, sort of, we won. Mm-hmm. You know, the only one that technically we didn't win, per se, that gets, you know, taught a, a lot about is like the Vietnam War. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I think this uh, the conversation I was in started because that's the only time uh, any, and please don't jinx me. I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, but it is the only time anybody tried to come and take over Canada was you guys. <laughs> Which is probably why we talk about it. <laughs> we learn about it. <laughs> I will be nice and not. Am I not remembering something correctly? Well, no, 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 no. You're probably remembering everything 100% correctly. But generally, I mean, I was going to make a snide joke about the fact that um, if things hadn't changed significantly in Washington, D.C. three years ago, who knows? what the future of Canada may have been. Oh, we would have had to be a lot more aggressive is what you're saying. We're well, generally peacekeepers in the world. <laughs> we go into countries and, you know, peacekeep. <laughs> exactly. And the person who is living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in DC. Wasn't it, really into peacekeeping as much. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. It's really hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even not having him in the White House right now, it's still, you could turn on the news and majority of what they talk about is him. But we get a lot of United States TV. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and you can't help, but especially this time of year, when it gets to that stuff, it's, you get a lot of people here who are anti him mm-hmm. that are like, if he wins, I'm going to Canada. I do know people that have moved because of, yes. Uh, I also know people who have, you know, have moved here. And then I also know people who left um, for different reasons, but also um, due to the um, fear, Uh, not necessarily of who's in government, but just fear for lives, basically. Yeah. Um, I think one person was fearful of their children going to school. (laughs) So there's all kinds of things. Big, big, messy. Yeah, whatever. We went on another tangent. This one was less fun and less Catherine O'Hara like. Yeah, we need. (laughs) We definitely need more Catherine O'Hara tangent. Yes. Um, Probably not necessarily per se this episode, but (laughs) um. So before we get to our ultimately get to our reviews, um, was there? A character that you thought was most memorable 
in this movie that you really fell in love with, gravitated to, you know, how, however you want to interpret that question. Because I don't necessarily want to give the ending away because it is so new and there may be people that haven't watched it for se. I've totally spoiled in different pieces that I've already talked that, about. Yeah. I, I think different, <laughs> I think getting to this point, I think I just want to get, because something happens at the end of the movie that you're expecting one thing to happen. Yeah. Then a certain person in power says, oh no, that's not going to happen. Slight plot, plot twist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a huge plot twist, but it's no. definitely something that you're not expecting to come. Yeah. I actually thought it was good, uh, that twist. I actually really liked it. So did um, I. I mean, you get a lot of story. And I'm trying to push the conversation right to the edge of that cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And not go over it. Without but, sharing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's like if you sit down and watch a sports movie, you mm-hmm. know, the underdog always, well, not always. But yeah. 95%, 95% of the time wins. You're expecting a certain outcome. Exactly. So, you know, even in this type of story, you might be expecting a certain outcome. Mm-hmm. You may get that outcome. You may not get that outcome. Yeah. So. I, I think that all the characters were great. All the actors were great. Even like, even the daughter. I mean, I just really thought they all did a great job. I mean, I even liked the guy that kept trying to get Emily Blunt fired, you know, like I just, he did a good job, you know, he was annoying and I wanted to punch him in the throat, you know, he was just annoying. And, uh, you know, probably that was a trigger response from experiences of my own in offices, but you know, (laughs) I thought offices can be very cutthroat. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan any longer, but, um, I thought everybody did an amazing job. Um, I'm going to go with Emily Blunt is my favorite. She took a character that could have been in a, um, could have been unappealing and not liked. And she really made me gun for her. Like I was like feeling for her. I was, you know, good for you. Oh, woe is you. You know, I, I thought she did a really great job with that character. I think I, I will wholeheartedly agree with that. I think I will take the opportunity to go the other side of the coin. And because as great as Emily was, mm-hmm. the greatness was helped created by Chris Evans. Oh yeah. They contrast each other very well. But at the same, yeah, exactly. At the same time, you can't say Chris is better than she was because Chris is great because of Emily. Emily was great because of Chris. I thought, see, and I'm on the side where I think Emily could pull this off with anybody else, whereas I feel Chris Evans got a boost because of Emily Blunt. I get, I could see where you're coming from with that. Because I, mean, I think that if it was somebody else, it could have made his character look worse, geekier. Um, you know, like he came off looking like a really strong, confident guy. Um, it's the ending where you're kind of doubting his confidence a little, but um, only because in my mind, if you can't take accountability, your confidence lacks. But that's just me as a human being personal. 
But I, I mean, I guess at the same time, it's kind of sort of a thing where when you have that much money involved mm -hmm. and that level of greed, yeah. I mean, you develop a lifestyle that you're living that, oh, yeah. I mean, do you, you really want to step up and take accountability for something and then run the risk of having it. it all go away yeah. in the blink I mean, of an eye? That's us as human beings, right? We're all afraid. We're afraid of losing everything, anything we have in our lives. Oh, you know, I, I, I got to be careful of this because this could happen. Or, oh, I can't do that because this will happen. So we all do it. I thought that was really great how they made, you know, these characters so true in that's how we are as human beings. Um, and and, and I, wasn't it, was it, Emily Blunt did say that. She said that you think when you get money, all your problems will be solved. And I'm obviously not word for word. I'm not quoting no. her or anything. But, um, but once you get to that new level of income, that new level of money, you have the same problems just in a whole different way. You know? Well, I know exactly what you're talking about because it's the whole, I guess you could say, curse of the lottery. Yes. If you go out and win, uh, you know, say, $50 million lottery. Now, all of a sudden, you've got relatives coming out of the works that, you yeah. know, with their handout that you haven't seen in 10 years. Yes. Or you've got, you know, people knocking on your door, you know, wanting you to Charity, donate. Charity, donate. and yeah. all of that. Can you pay more because you have more money than me or, you know. Well, yeah, like the... Exactly. With the... <laughs> With the daughter's school at the beginning, exactly. when she gets kicked out for arson and she gets her in time after yeah. she starts to build up some money, gets her, you know, accepted into the um, prep school, mm -hmm. and the head of the school is all like, "Okay, she's accepted, but yeah. you know, you have secondary tuition," and she's all like, "Well, I'm." capable of fully paying the tuition right now. And she's like, well, what's the secondary to it? She's like, well, we have this, this, and this. So could you possibly be interested in paying double tuition? Yeah. She was basically um, was extortioning. It was extortion. Uh -huh. She, Your daughter can get into the school if you're willing to pay double. You know, because we have very limited spots. And I yeah. think that's when Emily was talking about, her character was talking about the uh, you know, you same get to problems. a new level, same problem, just different way. Yeah. Yeah. You still have, you know, somebody trying to extortion more money out of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everybody's always trying to get money the easiest way possible. So not yeah. necessarily saying it. Yeah. But um, so. All right. So if you were to rate the movie out of five with. One being bad and five being the most awesomest movie of all time. What would you give the movie for a score? I'm so bad at these. I always give people fives unless you annoy me. Then it's going to be a four. If I really, if I found a lot of problems, it's going to be a two I, or a three. <laughs> I was, I was, I was really bad about that when we first started. I, everything was a five, 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 yeah. five, five, <laughs> and then it start. I started thinking about it. it's like, well, okay, this. I said this was a five. But then I gave this movie a four, and they're not that different in 
score. And realistically, is there a perfect movie out there that warrants having a five? I look at it as reviews are how you feel after you're done either watching a movie, reading a book. So it's all based on your feelings. And exactly. if you if you finished, you know, being and you're you were entertained, you're gonna want to give it a five. Yeah. Is how I look at it. Well, and it's all we're not professional critics by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no. So obviously a whole lot of the show is basically how the movie connects with you on an emotional level and yes. how much of an enjoyment it creates in your heart. Mm-hmm. So, which is why I'm more than welcome or willing to let people rate movies however they want to do it. So, I mean, I really liked it. I would probably give it, you know, four point something or five or something, you know, just cause now you make me feel like I need to reconsider how I give my reviews. But <laughs> well, you're, I, uh, you want to go four, four point whatever. If you I like you know, four point eight five. I I actually <laughs> I really liked it. I I finished that movie, entertained, more knowledgeable, feeling like I I felt connected to the characters as human beings. Like I said, they be they the show showed how we as human beings behave in a lot of the same ways, you know, and I thought that was really good. That's, you know, to me, that's how I, I like to leave a movie or book. I would probably for myself go with a four out of five. Yeah. Just, you know, again, there may have been, you know, moments where the movie kind of may have slowed down a little bit. But as a whole, in the grand scheme of things, I felt like it was a great movie. I felt mm-hmm. like the cast was great. I felt like the direction was great. Mm-hmm. I felt like I laughed at times. I yeah. felt like I learned stuff at times, you know. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when it comes to a movie that is investigating or informing people about the pitfalls of big pharma, which ultimately is in a lot of ways what the movie is about. Pretty much what the movie's about, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, it, not to go into my whole personal history, but I've got health issues where I am on prescriptions basically for quote unquote the rest of my life. But it's like you kind of sort of start to get that thought in your head like is this just something I'm taking to maintain a certain level of you know make it make me feel like I'm possibly getting better but keeping me just at that point where you know they can still keep fleecing my money out of me and making me buy these pills or you know whatever the is it do I have a condition that actually is not curable to each their own? And that's one whole big conspiracy theory that, you know, the listeners can feel how they want to feel about it. I don't want to necessarily push them one way or the other. Well, here's uh, my whole life. I knew that doctors got kickbacks for writing prescriptions. So it's something I've known my whole life. 
And um, I have a thing where I take medication for certain things. I also have health issues, but mine's more uh, from injuries and concussions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I found alternative ways to get better. But I have used the drugs that were recommended to me. They didn't help me. So I found alternative ways that didn't involve drugs. And so, I mean, I think that you can, you have to do what's right for you. If it's right for you to take the drugs, then take the drugs. If it's not right for you, then don't do it. You can't, you, you don't do something because somebody else does it. You do what's right for you. And that actually is a rather, I will say wholesome message to wrap up the discussion on <laughs> and move into our conclusion. So obviously I want to thank Teresa for being here and joining us on this amazing episode. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me today, Casey. I really enjoyed it. It was great. Um, and honestly, I enjoyed it so much that I would definitely like to extend an invitation for you to come back again anytime you want. Watch a movie and then talk about it? Yeah. Okay. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good with that. Thank you. Not a problem. And it was definitely a lot of fun. And I look forward to – I won't necessarily say a lot because I don't want it to come across as I'm – Ooh, you're obligated now to be on like every other episode. <laughs> That's, not That's okay. Case. I'm with boundaries and saying no. So if I don't want to, I will have to say no. <laughs> but no, definitely 100%. You are absolutely more than welcome to come back. If we've got something on the schedule that um, grabs your attention and you would like to be a part of it, all you have to do is reach out and let me know. If you've cool. got an idea for a movie, I do because I totally want to give you something you've not done before. Okay. <laughs> I really want to do that for you. I see it. I'm doing it for you. <laughs> are you, well, wait, are we sure it's something that I haven't seen or is it a part of the genre that we discussed earlier? It's part of the genre we discussed earlier. <laughs> okay. Then you more than likely, because I can probably count on one hand how many movies out of that genre I've watched. Oh, so you have seen some. Sorry, I misunderstood and thought you had did not have experience. Oh, I about that much experience. Okay. Not a whole lot. Okay. I I probably have seen three. Really? That I could think of right off the top of my head. Really? One of oh. which was done just a couple months ago on okay. the show. Oh, because, okay, cool. Um, but we can definitely discuss that. Um, like that. um that fun. other than that, um coming up on wait a minute. I got thank you. Oh, thank you obviously to the list. I don't know how I forgot the listeners because without the I listeners talking, <laughs> we would not be here. The our fan base is incredible and I am very happy each and every day that we have them, and they're the ones that keep me coming back and recording the show every week. So thank you guys for being here. Um, other than that, coming up in – we've got a whole lot of stuff coming up over the next few months, and I'm not going to go all the way into it because, as you guys all know who listen, I can be kind of a stickler for planning, and 
I'm not going to lie. I've got ideas for shows all the way out through probably April. So, but um, definitely coming up in the new year, um, we've got the, an episode on the fifth element. Um, Jeremy and Chansey from Maniacal Music Musings will be here. Uh, let's see. In February, Amanda and I are going to be discussing um, African-American cinema with um, approval of the list from Dre and Harvey from the network. So definitely stay tuned for that as well, because we haven't done a whole lot of African-American cinema in three years. I don't know why. They're great movies, but we'll get into it in February. And then obviously in um, March, we have the uh, movies that everybody should see at least once in their lifetime theme coming up. So I haven't decided, or we haven't decided what movies will pop up during March, but um, I feel like that's a good theme and people can get good ideas for movies to watch out of it. So uh, stay tuned in the group, obviously, and stay updated as to what's coming up. But again, thank you to Teresa for being here. This was a lot of, not a problem. And thank you obviously again to the listeners and um, yeah, at the end of the day, we hope you guys all come back for, an evening at the movies. Have a good week, guys. We'll see you next week.